Hey friends, you're listening to the Student Ministry Sermon Podcast from First Christian Church. Our hope is that these words bless you, lead you closer to Jesus, and help you follow Him more faithfully. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Hey, um, yeah, this is my first time speaking Wednesday night, so <laughs> lucky you guys. Um, John, came, uh, John, Robert came to me a couple weeks ago and he said, hey, are you interested in doing the second week on this series on wonder? Because I think most of, you, uh, most of you guys have figured out now that I have a little bit of an obsession with rocks. Um, and I was honestly pretty anxious about this. And I woke up this morning, I just wanted to give a really quick um, story about what happened to me in regards to how God can answer prayer. So I woke up, and I was admittedly fairly anxious about this. And so I went onto the prayer chain, and I said, hey, could people pray for me just so I don't have the anxiety and um, I'm able to speak clearly? So... Fast forward, I go to uh, the office, and I'm really hungry, and I was rushed, so I didn't have breakfast. So I grabbed a little thing of popcorn, microwave popcorn, threw it into the microwave, um, and then forgot about it, turned around and realized that I pretty much smoked out my entire office. Um, I absolutely reeked of burnt popcorn, and by a miracle of God, the fire alarm didn't go off. But I was literally running all over the office with my jacket, waving it to keep the fire alarm from going off. And by the time that it was all done, I realized two things. One, I was very lucky that the fire alarm didn't go off. Because if it did, our building automatically contacts uh, the fire truck. So fire department would have shown up. I would have gotten in huge trouble. I probably would have gotten written up. And I probably wouldn't have gotten the promotion that I applied for. So, yay. Second thing I noticed, our alarm system is terrible, um, which is great for me. Uh, and then it hit me that I just had a massive dose of adrenaline running around freaking out, and all of a sudden I wasn't anxious about talking about you know, what I'm going to be discussing tonight. So two things I learned about God. One, he truly does answer prayer. Two, he has a phenomenal sense of humor. <laughs> all right. So I mentioned... I love science. I love geology. I have a master's degree in geology. I suffered through college for eight years. So what does this mean? Ultimately, number one, I know more about rocks than any singular individual ever should. Let's just be honest. Anybody who went up to Shaver probably had people running up to me and you saw, what's this rock? What's this rock? What's this rock? And my answer was, it's actually the same rock, <laughs> which was true. Two. If you haven't noticed, I consider long hair and a beard is pretty much considered vocationally obligatory. Uh, and three, I have an unhealthy fascination with wearing earth tones. So this is, this is not limited to just me. So if you wouldn't mind putting up a picture of a generic geologist, thank you. <laughs> this is the Hollywood portrayal. As you can see, he has the requisite hair. He doesn't have the beard, but he, he, this is probably a PhD geologist, so he goes with the handlebar mustache, and that's okay. But I was able to see some really, really cool things, and so when I was an undergrad, if you wouldn't mind going to the next picture, this is me as an undergrad. I hadn't earned my beard yet. Um, this is me looking, uh, I was taking a tour of a tourmaline gemstone mine in uh, Paula, uh, north of San Diego, so... Uh, very, very, very famous uh, mine where they get some of the 
uh, world-classic tourmaline gemstones that you can go and see at the Natural History Museum in uh, DC. And then um, after my undergrad, if you could fast forward to one more picture. Oh, not that one. That is not me. <laughs> Look for one with a guy wearing nothing but brown with a shovel. Oh, no. Never mind. You don't get to see that one? That's probably for the best. So, bottom line, I love geology. And one of the things that I have always really struggled with, especially once I went to middle school and started out in high school, is struggling with trying to um, account for church world versus secular world. There was a, uh, during Jesus' ministry, he was once approached by a Pharisee, a lawyer, and he hoped to uh, challenge him. And uh, if you wouldn't mind putting up the scripture from Matthew 22, 36 through 38. And this, uh, this lawyer, a Pharisee, asked Jesus, and he said, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, I don't want to focus on the, the, the exchange and the, the challenge from the Pharisee, but, but think about that. The great and foremost commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. My, my personal experience growing up in the church is that loving God with heart and soul is definitively discussed and encouraged, but little is emphasized regarding loving God with one's mind. And it seems science is rarely discussed, despite the fact that much of science is essentially the study of God's creation. So as a result, growing up as a kid, I had two relatively separate mindsets regarding how to approach the world. One, church world, where I would go to church, I would go to Sunday school, I would learn about the Bible, and we'd, I'd learn about the, uh, the Genesis account, and then I'd go home. And then there was secular or real world where I would go to school and I would learn about evolution. I'd learn about the Big Bang Theory. I would learn about DNA. I'd learn about uh, biology and how all, everything relates. But you notice I said secular or the real world. I mean, that, that's a problem for me to say church world versus the real world. And so I think it's important as Christians that we learn to reconcile the two. And the questions are, do we have to shut down our brains in order to believe in God, or do we have to shut down our faith to believe in science? So obviously this being a, a message for Wednesday night, in case you haven't figured out by now, the answer to these questions is no. And for me, loving God with one's mind involves understanding that we live in his creation, and for me, studying the way he built it is an act of worship. Now, there are a lot of questions that are very difficult to answer. And do we need to know all of the answers? No. No, we do not. And that's okay. If we knew all the answers, and if you knew all the answers, then quite frankly, you'd be a bigger nerd than me. And trust me, that's a high bar. More than you realize. <laughs> So not knowing all the answers regarding God and science is what personally drives me to keep seeking answers, and therefore to keep seeking God. Like a painter wanting their painting to be enjoyed, I believe God loves love it when we marvel and wonder at his creation. It's, it's absolutely stunning. And though I certainly don't have all the answers, 
I someday hope to stand before God and have him explain all the questions that I want to know. For example, how old is the universe really? 6,000? 13.6 billion? Are we the only life forms in the universe? Who knows? Maybe there are. Maybe he created other life in the universe. And something that is personal to me, why do we drive on parkways? Yeah, park on driveways. (laughs) Thank you, Tim. (laughs) So anyway, uh, the rest of this discussion, it's not designed to answer or remove every obstacle in the debate between modern science and Christianity. I was given an estimated 20 to 30 minutes, and quite frankly, not smart enough, my hair is not long enough, to be able to answer that question. But I do want to go over and discuss at least some things which I personally have put a lot of thought and reflection into. I wanted to go over how I wondered over some of God's universe, and some of it may be considered controversial, so here we go. But first, before I can go into that, I need to bring in a little bit of a history lesson, because everybody loves history, right? I don't think you do, Dominic. (laughs) All right, 1927. There was a man, a Belgian man named George Lemite. He was a Belgian astronomer. Go back to that black and white picture, please. The one that's not me. Thank you. Right? (laughs) He was a Belgian astronomer, theoretical physicist, and a mathematician. In 1927, he published which for years was a relatively unnoticed scientific paper regarding distances and velocities of galaxies. Wow, so exciting. He observed that bodies in the universe are traveling at great speeds, and they're traveling away from each other. So he was able to figure out mathematically that the universe is expanding. A couple years after that paper, he was working with Edwin Hubble, who is a famous astronomer. You may have heard of him. There's an entire telescope, the Hubble telescope, uh, that is named after him. And with his observing celestial bodies moving, uh, George Lemite postulated that the universe existed way back in the day, if you wind back time, because all the universe is expanding, right? If you wind back time, then eventually the universe existed as what he referred to as the primeval particle, which had to have disintegrated in a massive explosion, which gave rise to space-time and the universe we live today. I would like to point out um, it gave rise to space and time. Time started at the destruction of this primeval particle. And that is why George Lemite, Belgian astronomer, theoretical physicist, mathematician, and if... Uh, oh, is the picture not here? Oh, no. And if you look at his collar, he's the one in the middle, he was an ordained Catholic priest. And George Lemite is considered and referred to in the scientific community as the father of the Big Bang Theory. Think about that. The Big Bang Theory was originally created by an ordained priest. And when his theory came out, there was a lot of people who had serious issues with it. There was an entire camp of scientists who believed what is referred to as Steady-state theory, which believes that the universe did not have a beginning, it does not have an end, it just has been. And that there are scientific processes involved that maintain the universe's existence. And a lot of people in this camp argued 
that the reason why George Lemite came up with this idea is because it actually supported his Judeo-Christian beliefs. Why does that matter? Because if the universe and all of its physical laws and time had a specific uh, beginning, then there has to be a cause. A cause which exists outside of physical laws and time. So is it so much to actually believe that that cause which created the Big Bang is God? And is it so much to believe that because it's God, a being who lives outside of time and space and physical laws is powerful? And that when the Bible says God spoke the universe into being, that they would not look from our perspective as a large explosion, the creation of everything? And my friends, this this idea is controversial. (laughs) When I was a kid, if I said in church, or um, I went to a private uh, Christian school way back in the day when I was short, and if I said the Big Bang Theory was potentially biblically sound, I would have gotten in big trouble. But it makes sense, right? Any creator... Any creator of anything exists necessarily outside of their creation. Someone building a car exists outside the car. A painter exists outside the painting. A computer programmer exists outside their written program and is not bound by the limits under which that program operates. Many in modern science and the secular community say that science has at a minimum allowed for God to not exist or has disproved him entirely. But that, that's a fallacious argument. You can't say that. We use the tool set of mathematics, physics, and time to study the universe and its origin. So how can a tool set limited to the boundaries of this universe disprove something that necessarily exists outside the universe? Does that make sense? God doesn't play by the rules the universe runs on. He exists outside them. He wrote the book, and he is not constrained to it. Those who say science proves God only do so by trying to put him inside the universe box, and they don't understand the inherent error in doing so. Next topic. Um, Last week, Danielle spoke about the complexity of DNA and how much is stored in our cells. DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid. We take the complexity of DNA for granted, but have you ever stopped to wonder about how complex it truly is? DNA contains encoded instructions critical for us to exist. Instructions develop, survive, reproduce, without error, despite repeated replication. Well, evolutionary theory states that modern DNA originated from simpler RNA stands, strand, sorry, which is just ribonucleic acid instead of deoxyribonucleic acid. Essentially, you take the double helix of the DNA, which we've probably all seen pictures of, and it's just half of the rotating structure. But have you ever thought about the statistical chances of even RNA strand developing on its own with the ability to develop, survive, long enough to reproduce and replicate itself? Back when I was an undergrad, I was still uh, down in San Diego, and uh, I had a group of friends. Every single Saturday, we would meet up about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and this was my tabletop gaming group. Told you, the bar to beat me as a nerd is really high. 
We did this every single week, and it was amazing. I had a uh, good friend who was not a Christian, and uh, we were talking and discussing science, and he knew that I am heavily Christian. He stopped and said, Eric, I, I do not understand how you can major in geology and be a Christian. So I asked him why. And he stated that science has shown that life developed on its own and therefore God cannot exist. And my response was, well, what are the statistical chances that life came about by random chance in such a way that life could not exist? But also sustain itself and reproduce. And not only that, but evolve instead of having an evolutionary mutation which was detrimental and caused it to die off. Well, statistically, the chances for that are very, very low. Um, I used to actually know the estimated statistical chance of life coming. They, they tried to calculate it. Um, I can't give you the exact number, but it was, it was really low. The chances of it coming, I, uh, it was like 1 times 10 to the negative 80 or something like that, which means it's you have a zero, then a decimal, then 80 zeros, and a one. <laughs> That's the statistical chance for it to happen. I pointed out to my friend, he said, yes, chances are very statistically low, but that chance is irrelevant because here we are. Given enough time, he argued, it, it doesn't matter because, I mean, we're here, and the fact we're here means that it had to have happened. And so I said, well, that's interesting, and I agree. The statistical chances are very small, but here we are. Given the extreme statistical unlikelihood that life could come about on its own with enough instruction in the RNA strand for that first single-celled organism uh, to be able to develop, survive, reproduce. And yet here we are. You see, to me, life having come out by chance requires more faith than faith in God. I'm going to give another illustration how, other nerds in the room, has anybody ever tried to write a computer program? Computer programmers. Oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> uh, what computer language do you use to code? C, C++. The, the big one when I was in college was Python. It was like, oh, Eric, you need to learn how to code in Python. I, I do not code, all right? <laughs> um, that's, a, that's an aspect of geology that, that uh, I am not interested in. But let me ask you this. You can choose any, any coding language whatsoever, and I'm actually going to interrupt myself and say any coding language, we recognize there's intelligence that actually wrote that language for a, func for a program to actually be written. So if you take a cat, and I take this cat, and I come across a really big keyboard, and I humanely toss the cat onto the keyboard and let the cat run around, do whatever it does, roll, flop down. Anybody who has a cat has probably observed this whenever you're trying to write a paper. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are the chances that its keystrokes on the keyboard are ever going to create a simple program that runs without issue? Now compare that chance to the requirements and complexity that DNA fulfills. All the biochemical processes that govern the cell provide instructions for chemical regulation in the human body, hormonal development, reproductive process, the list goes on. People look at a computer program and say, there's no way that something like that can come about on its own. It's impossible. And yet, 
you look at the complexity of DNA, there is more faith, in my opinion, that is required to be able to um, have life on its own than to simply say that there was a creator. All right. So I've spoken a fair amount about the idea that science actually can point to God. So what? Well, considering the vastness of the universe, what does God's creation say about him? And that's a question that I personally cannot give a specific definition for. That's something I think everybody should ask themselves. After all, love the Lord your God with all of your mind. But here's how I've approached it. The humbling reality is that we are all absolute specks in this grand design of the universe, living on a slightly larger speck of a rock called Earth. And it hurts to think about, but in light of the celestial bodies that run on the laws of physics that are mathematically sound and elegant. And now you know how much of a nerd I am. And you think, in the grand scheme of the universe, does he actually need us for him to be glorified in the vastness of his creation? And the answer, in my opinion, is no, he doesn't. And even though he doesn't need us, we as a race, we chose as humanity to rebel against him. We still do, constantly. But despite this, Jesus loves us so much that he invites us to be with him. Of all the intricacies of the universe, the ordered and majestic laws and stunning beauty of things that are far beyond our individual lives, he chose to redeem the tiny speck called humanity. Would you uh, please put up Colossians 1, 15 through 17? Paul wrote this about Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in all things hold together. Paul states here that Jesus was present at creation. As Christians, we believe Jesus is God in human form. And the scripture we just read says that Jesus was there, the whole world was created. Of everything in the universe already declaring the glory and wonder of God, Jesus chose to humble himself to become one of the limited specks on the larger limited speck of rock called earth. Really quick, I am not certified to land a plane like Pastor Jim. So I'm going to park my janky 2003 Dodge Neon. uh, Danielle last week pointed out that in the long run, without Jesus, life is pointless and without meaning. But Jesus, in light of everything that he's done and all of the wonder and glory and majesty that he has created with the rest of creation... He thinks we have value above the rest of it all and that in him we have meaning. In him we have purpose and through him we go from valueless to invaluable not because of what or who we are but because of who Jesus is, what he thinks of us and the immense suffering he volunteered to go through to redeem us. My friends, it's all about Jesus. 
We say that a lot here. We really do. But within the context of everything that he's done, that he's already glorified by, and he still chose to die on a cross to redeem humanity that rebels against him, name one other thing in all this creation that actually rebels against him. I can't think of one. It's all about Jesus. All right, thank you. Uh, at this point, I'd like to invite the worship team, and uh, I'll pray. Father, thank you so much just for who you are. The, the universe that you've created, it's so vast, it's so grand, and it's just something that is incomprehensible from our perspective. And you give us the opportunity to be able to study it, and through doing so, study you. Thank you, Father, so much for the sacrifices that you have made on our behalf, that despite all of our failures and intentionally running away from you, you still seek us out, and you literally redeemed us from, from Satan. Thank you, Jesus, for everything that you've done, and I ask that you bless everybody in this room as we go about the remainder of our week. In your name, Lord, amen.